Thanks so much to Ryan and David and the worship team for leading us in worship so far. And for beginning our extended meditation on Psalm 107, you probably are getting that the whole service is really crafted around this psalm. My name is John Huggins. I'm the chaplain at Berry College, and I appreciate Brian asking me uh, to preach and be able to share with you guys. Last time I preached this summer, we did an extended psalm meditation also on Psalm 145, and Psalm 107 is uh, just as glorious and good and helpful to us as the other. So I thought we would be there again, uh, do that kind of thing again this, this week. Let's pray together and ask God to speak to our hearts. Our Father, to all of us, and especially to those who perhaps haven't sensed it yet, would you please give us a strong sense of your presence in this moment? Please help us to remember that you are the good shepherd who knows how to work in our lives the best way. That you have all wisdom and power. and You can be trusted. Would you please grant peace to spirits in turmoil or distress right now? Would you please grant healing to those who are sick in mind or body? Would you please renew and refresh hope for people who are discouraged? Would you give fresh power, the power of the Holy Spirit, to all of us as we struggle against our flesh, against a fallen world system, and strength to obey you joyfully day by day, rejoicing in gospel truth, loving that we belong to Jesus and get to represent him. Would you please speak to our hearts now and give birth to genuine praise, thanksgiving, and worship in Christ's name, amen. So Psalm 107, those of you who have a Bible, that's this thing that looks like a book. It's what they have before iPhones. You know, you can open it up and turn over to Psalm 107, or you can just scroll down. Wherever, whatever you're using is fine. Psalm 107 actually begins uh, the fifth book of the Psalms. So the Psalms are actually divided into five books, grouped that way. This is the first one in that fifth grouping, so it's starting a new section of Psalms. And this particular section of Psalms ends with really high praise in the the last several uh, Psalms up through 150. It also begins by calling us to give thanks. Really, the whole essence of this Psalm can be summarized in this sentence. It is a call to give thanks for God's love by remembering his redemptive acts in our lives and in our community. It's a call to give thanks for God's love by remembering his redemptive acts or actions in our lives and in our community. It starts with this opening exclamation that we are to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. This is repeated throughout the Psalms and throughout the Bible as a refrain calling people to give thanks to God. And then it tells 
redeemed people, God's redeemed people, to say so, to talk about, to speak about how God has redeemed them. How has God worked in your life to, re- to redeem you, to help you and restore you? It opens with that exclamation and it concludes with an exhortation that says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things and consider the steadfast love of the Lord. It's a way of saying what this whole psalm calls us to is something that wise people do. Mature, wise believers intentionally give thanks to God for his love by remembering on purpose his redemptive actions in our life. And it has the effect of calling our awakening praise, thanksgiving in us, and worship. Uh, The Bible draws together the ideas of giving thanks and wisdom in other places in the Bible also, where wisdom and maturity are associated with giving, giving thanks, being grateful. We may not tend to think of that as sort of a defining characteristic of wisdom, but in the Bible, it, 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 that is the case. And this is especially the case in the book of Colossians, if you want to read a New Testament book. If you were to read the book of Colossians and go through and mark every time it says to give thanks, and every time it mentions wisdom or maturity, you'll see that the Apostle Paul understands the mature Christian is one who is a thankful Christian, who's grateful. Uh, Not sort of the cynical, skeptical kind, you know, who's never able to really give thanks because they can't break through their suspicions that it's actually all going to fall apart eventually. Or this thing is not really as good as it it promises to be. um, Or life, my life is not as blessed as people might think. That if we are wise, we will do this. I I think sometimes about how our age is not really characterized by wisdom or maturity. Would you say so? Think about it for a moment. Think about the kind, like, especially pop culture in our world. Pop culture, as well as political culture that's in the media, um, sort of this general prolonged adolescence that, you know, that you get in, like, commercials and television shows and all that that sort of say you should just forever be young and dumb as long as you can and just look as young and dumb as you want as you can as long as you can do as many stupid things as you can do uh, because that's what life is about it's not really characterized by wisdom or maturity and because of that we are not we don't really think deeply about many things that are good or right we don't feel very deeply about things that are good and right we might think deeply about things but it's usually about ourselves what we want to get out of life. We might feel very deeply, but it tends to be like when our feelings have been hurt by someone. What I'm getting at is it's often shallow things that we think deeply about. But what about thinking about good and right things? Beautiful and true things. I wonder if we're, Ryan alluded to this earlier, if we're not too distracted in our busy, busy age. Um, In... You know, technology is one of those things that's great. It's both a blessing and a curse depending on what use we make of it. And I think there's a certain way that wise and mature people can engage technology and an unwise and immature way to engage technology. You know, it's great, but it can also have a numbing or distracting effect on us. Uh, Not too long ago, if my daughter Abigail's in here. Might be okay. So I'm sorry, baby. I'll give you some money afterwards. I'm tell this little story about you. So she was talking to me about how she was feeling like maybe she was the only person on her softball team who didn't have an Instagram account. And uh, there, these are ten and under, ten year olds and under. Uh, 
And I was trying to help her see, and I was like, I don't want you to become a screen zombie. You know, someone who's stuck to, this, to their screens all the time. Uh, and then I said, you know, you can blame it on me. Just tell them my daddy won't let me have one. She says, that's what I tell them. <laughs> and I said, you know, the truth is, that stuff will make you dumb. It's like too much of that makes you dumb. So you can tell your friends that I said that that stuff will make you dumb. And so and now they're... They're really going to like me. And that's okay. I don't care about that. <clears throat> but it can. You know, it, it keeps us just kind of operating at a surface level. All of our information, all of our thinking is at surface level. I saw uh, an interesting media critique of that uh, recently in an episode of Doctor Who. Anyone? Anyone? I don't know how many Doctor Who fans we have in here. But there's an episode uh, when David Tennant was playing the Doctor called Rise of the Cybermen. And in this episode called Rise of the Cybermen, everyone has these little ear uh, inserts. And the ear inserts function sort of like a cell phone or an iPad do. And every t- at one point during the day, every day, all the people stop because their brains are being controlled by these things. And they get a download of all the news, music, media, downloaded right into their brains through these little ear things, and even a joke. So when they, they get the media, they get the news, and they get the joke, and they all laugh at the same time, and then it lets them go, and they continue about their lives. So everybody has these things, <clears throat> and it sort of looks like a little Bluetooth thing in their ear, which, just as an aside, can I just say, those things really are ridiculous. Um, it's, it's one thing if you wear that in the car, but please don't be wearing that in a restaurant or, you know, out in the store. You, just, you walk past people, you talking to me? You talking to me? It's not cool. Are you really that important? Take the thing out of your ear. Come on. There's, there's, are you work for the Secret Service or something? You know, it's like, who? What's up with that? Anyway, sorry, as an aside, I'm sure no one here wears that, or you won't anymore at the church. <clears throat> but these people have them, and what happens is they can be controlled by those in power. They're easily made into uniform beings, and eventually they are dehumanized and are turned into the Cybermen. And once they're turned into the Cybermen, they start killing everyone. So that's where we're heading. So let's be careful. <laughs> And not get addicted to this stuff. Now, I thought earlier, maybe it's self-defeating to use a sci-fi show illustration to undermine technological distraction. Um, But the main point is that we need to try to slow down. We've got to make effort to unplug so that we can remember. That stuff keeps us from remembering. How many of you think, I can't remember what happened yesterday. I can't remember what happened last week. And often because there's too much going on right now that I need to think about. And this kind of psalm is calling us to remember on purpose and to think about things that go beyond just last week or last month. To think about the course of a lifetime or the course of history, the course of a family story. We have to learn how to remember well, and it usually takes effort in our age. Remembering well um, can lead to hopefulness about the future. That's one of the things this psalm does too. They think back on how God has worked his saving mighty power in the past. and can create a sense of hopefulness, our joyful anticipation for the future rather than fear. Jürgen Moltmann's an important German theologian who defines hope as anticipated joy. And he contrasts that with anxiety, which is anticipated terror. And what do you think most people live in? Do we live with a sense of anticipated joy, hope, or anticipated terror? 
resulting in anxiety. And if we, we can remember in certain ways that lead to anxiety, if we only think about the bad things that have happened in our life or, you know, all the bad news in the media. We can also think and remember in a certain way that leads to hopefulness when the emphasis is upon God, his sovereignty and goodness over the long haul. Well, in the psalm, there's a pattern that you may have noticed in the service so far, a pattern that's repeated four times. And I want you to take note of this literary, intentional literary artistry. It's like they're not just saying random praise words. The person who crafts this puts it together in an intentionally poetic way to evoke the appropriate emotional response to these truths. And the pattern is interesting. The pattern starts with the word some, as in verse 4, it'll say, some wandered in desert waste. And Ryan read these during our prayer time. So there's four times it'll say, some people were like this, some people were in this situation, some people were in that situation. In verses 4, 10, 17, and 23, the pattern begins. Within the pattern, there's two refrains. The first refrain is this, as in verse 6. It'll say, they were in this situation, but then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. That verse, again, is repeated three more times. After that verse will follow something that God did to rescue or help this person. After that will be followed by the second refrain, which is the core exhortation of the passage. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And that verse is also repeated three more times in the text. So I'm going to read it again. And I want to ask to to allow the words to kind of uh, offer our imagination, our heart, and our memory to these verses to allow them to evoke, awaken praise in us as I read the text. And notice the pattern. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. And gathered in from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. Here here it begins. Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down within, with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress he brought them out of darkness with the shadow of the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and his wondrous works to the children of man. 
Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. The, pot, the pattern ends here, and it's like a, conclu- a, concluding, um, a concluding section. <clears throat> he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless waste. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. And let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Well, you probably discern the pattern now. I want to reflect on some of the sums. What are the four things that it says in this particular passage that some were in? What conditions? It says some were wandering at the beginning. In hung, they were hungry and thirsty. And as Ryan alluded to earlier, uh, this could be taken literally or spiritually, we think. And then they cried out to the Lord, and what did God do? He satisfied their soul with good things. <clears throat> Some were imprisoned. The darkness of death was around them because of rebellion. Have you ever been there in that place? Physically or spiritually, where you felt like all was darkness and death because of your circumstance, your choice, or some action. But then they cried out to God for help. And God comes and it says he burst their bonds. He breaks the chains. And the language implies that God is not doing this reluctantly, but eagerly. The language is of divine power coming in to explode these chains apart for people who cried out to him. And they're in this condition in the first place by their own fault. They're in this place probably justly. And they cry out for help and God's mercy comes and breaks the chains so that people can live free. It shows me that God wants to be merciful to people. His heart is to show grace, to give redemption God's trigger finger is not on wrath or judgment. His heart is to rescue, to help. And he's responsive to those people who cry out for help. The next one, it says, some were suffering for their foolish actions or sin. 
and they are in despair. Have you ever felt that you were in despair about yourself? They cried out to God for help, and it says that he came and healed them and delivered them. You need that kind of healing deliverance this morning. We might find in these verses a call to cry out afresh to the Lord because you feel that you're in this place and find his redeeming love uh, again, his help. The next one says that some were essentially afraid that they're in a scary situation. Have you been in scary situations? Perhaps because of health, uh, a parent or child, uh, financial situation. And you're afraid. Cried out to God for help. In this passage, it says his response is that he brings calm and stillness to the storm. And sometimes that's the way we experience God's help. It's not in terms of a radical healing or maybe not even in terms of a, a radical provision, but in being granted miraculous grace to endure a difficult situation until the time when all things are made new. And God's promise is that there will be a time when all things are made new, when all tears are wiped away, when there is no more mourning or crying or pain. There is a time coming that can be anticipated now through the Holy Spirit, through the community of the church, the hope of the gospel. There will be a time when wickedness shuts its mouth. I'll say more about that maybe later. In that last section, verses 33 through 43, they highlight God's sovereign power and goodness on behalf of his people. The blessings are, of course, which is typical of the Old Testament, are portrayed in terms of earthly blessings. But we see in it that God is responsive to his people and acts on their behalf. And that in doing so, when, when, when God responds to his people and acts on their behalf, it has the power to shut the mouth of wickedness. I, I love that. Don't we want for wickedness to shut its mouth? To stop having a say. To stop yelling at us. <clears throat> to stop... <clears throat> Many of our brothers and sisters today around the world are suffering from oppression, evil, sorrow, crying out to God for help. Don't we long to see God show his mighty power on their behalf, and have it shut the mouth of wickedness. The time will come when it's done. The main thing I want to ask as we reflect on the present significance of such a passage is this. What is your story? If you were going to compose another section to this psalm, like a fifth version of the pattern, what would you say? Some were fill in the blank. With your life, your story? Would it be somewhere ashamed and guilty or afraid? Some were stubborn. Some were alone. Some were sick. Some were in some kind of need. But then I cried out to the Lord in my distress. He delivered me from my distress. What did he do? You had a sense that God forgave you, comforted you, provided you with family, or provided you with a certain friend, 
who gave you a soft heart or he healed some sickness or gave some provision. And the psalm is calling you to remember that on purpose so that you can give thanks afresh today and every day. Giving thanks today afresh will provide the needed perspective for present and future struggles that you're, that you're, that you're likely to encounter. It be, might be helpful to think about that today. Perhaps journal about it or just sit and meditate on it sometime this afternoon. Or you may think when I say that, I don't really have a story. I'm not sure what to say. I can't think of a time when I was in one of those positions. It could be that such a story is coming for for you in the future. Or that you're in a particular stage of that story. And that right now, I just feel afraid, alone, or whatever. And they're in that place of crying out to God for his help. And the Bible gives you the language to cry out for help. This particular psalm is celebrating God having moved to act. But there's other psalms where God hasn't acted yet. And the people are still crying out for help. As in Psalm 88, which concludes by saying, darkness is my only friend. It doesn't end hopefully. It ends with a person still longing and hurting. The Bible gives you words to bring to God when you feel that way. And then later on gives you psalms like this to broaden your perspective, deepen the perspective. And say, over the course of a lifetime, throughout history, you take the long view, you will see that God is a God of redemption. He's in the redemption business. This is what God does for a living. He redeems us. Well, I wanted to say something to those who might feel that... um, They've cried out to the Lord for help in their distress. And that much of that help, in terms of a specific provision, hasn't been given. But maybe what is being given, or what might be given to you afresh this morning, is that miraculous grace to endure. As I said before, if that's the case, you can still have the hope of anticipated joy here and now. The question might be, how? I had three things I wanted to say about that real briefly. Uh, One is to take the long view, take the wide view, and take the gospel view. How would I have anticipated joy here and now if I'm in the struggle? Taking the long view means uh, this this, uh, chapter of Psalms might not apply to your last week or to your last month. But if we look over the course of a lifetime, we ought to be able to see and are likely to be able to see God's work of redemption moving in our lives, helping us, sustaining us, providing for us in such a way that it can evoke praise and joy. Or maybe you need to think beyond your own lifetime and think about history, your parents, or all of human history. God has worked over the long run to do this kind, has proven himself to be this kind of God. The other is to take the wide view. In this passage, it's a, it's a passage for the whole congregation to sing and say together. In other words, it's not about just a single individual who went through all of these circumstances. It's some of the people went through this kind of circumstance and others went through this kind of circumstance. Others went through this particular kind of circumstance. So if we were to think as a congregation and say, well, maybe it's hard to discern in my own life here in this moment. But if I look around at the family of God, I can think and see God has worked in their life. In a way that's really powerful. 
in a way that I can recognize. And God's worked in their life in a very powerful and recognizable way. And in their life in a powerful and recognizable way. And let, and let God's work in other people's lives be something that encourages our own faith here and now. Rather than being something that provokes us to envy. Or something like that. <clears throat> and lastly, taking the gospel view. God has acted redemptively on our behalf, on all of our behalf, powerfully, not reluctantly, and God has acted sufficiently to call forth a lifetime of praise in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus comes to unite us with God, with the life of God. He comes to teach us what's good and right and true. He comes to die for our sins, to rescue us from death and condemnation. He delivers us and restores us to bear the image of God again. He was resurrected from the grave to rule over us and to renew us day by day. Because of Jesus, we are forgiven for our sins, reconciled to God forever. We are made new from the inside out. We belong to God's family, and we are assured to share in God's future. That is the future that God is bringing. See, because of Jesus, we all can be redeemed, and this psalm can apply to all of us. We all have something to say when it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We are the redeemed in and through Jesus Christ. Let's remember that. Even above all, let it call forth thanksgiving. Let's pray together. God, please grant us the grace. Please redeem our memory that we might be mindful in our own lives, in the lives of others that we know, or even just people we've heard of. News around the world or news throughout history where you have shown your mighty power to help, heal, to break chains, to comfort and renew. Thank you for being in the redemption business, for working it all the time. Because that's true, we can always have hope. Because the cross and resurrection are true, and you have sent the Holy Spirit to live in your people, we are never without hope. I pray for such anticipated joy to fill every heart. And now as we sing and have this opportunity to give thanks to you, Lord, Please cause us to delight ourselves in your goodness and feel compelled to share that goodness with others. In Christ's name, amen.